Alright, so hello and welcome back to Making It, a podcast where we explore all the joys and challenges of being an independent maker. I'm your host, Mike Williams. I'm a small business owner slash maker from Maryland. Back in my Shapeways days, I met a unique fellow by the name of Stoney Smith. Stoney is a scale train modeler from Bedford, Texas. Stoney and I work together a lot on the 3D printing community, and he has joined us here today. How you doing today, Stoney? Doing good. Doing good. It's good. Uh, waiting, waiting on that markup payment tomorrow. Right. <laughs> those, those, I only ever saw them like maybe once or twice a year besides the, the November full payout. Yes, yes. Well, the good news I have, and I don't know when this is going to end up playing, but the good news I have is, is that as of tomorrow's payment, I will have passed sixteen thousand dollars in total markup sales, markup collection. I mean, that is, you know, very decent for a uh, little part-time side hobby. Yes. <laughs> and now you have to divide that by seven years. Yeah. Okay, so it's only around $200 or so a month, but that is at least enough for me to go buy some more trains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so having a hobby that pays for itself is really nice. Right. Uh, the other little milestone is is that to date, you know, as of tomorrow, it's 8,600 units sold. Mm-hmm. 8,600 so, units, and you've made... About 16,000. 16,000. So, I'm, I haven't broken $2 a, a unit yet. <laughs> not, I, not going rich here. <laughs> well, I mean, it's uh, quality and quantity over uh, one-time big payout. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, like I said, it's enough that I can buy a new locomotive once a month, so, hey, I'll, I'll take it. Right. Uh, so you want to tell us a little about yourself, where you're from, where, your background and everything? Um, long story, I was born in Alaska, and when my parents retired, they moved back to Texas. They were from Texas. They moved back to Texas, and at 14, I had to accompany them, and I came along kicking, kicking and screaming and didn't want to leave Alaska. But mm-hmm. um, then a few years later, I went to Texas Tech University and made the fatal mistake of marrying a girl from Lubbock and was stuck in Lubbock for 20 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and three kids and several other things later, I was looking at, you know, needing a little bit more money. So I took this promotion that ended up landing me in Dallas. Okay. And uh, I've been in the Dallas area now right at 20 years. And... For, to explain a little better where I am, I live two miles west of the DFW airport. I can look out the street, see the planes taking off, and I don't hear them because they're they're taking they're taking off going north and south. But I'm right next to the DFW airport. That's not not bad. You get the view without all the noise. Yeah, and I travel quite a bit for work these days, and so. It's eight minutes from here to any gate. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice to be able to have that kind of access to the airport and still not have them fly directly over my house all the time. So it's rather nice. Yeah, I, I know here in Maryland they had a, a, the governor was going after BWI because the flight patterns were causing such a disturbance over some of the neighborhoods. It's a weird 
weird little build a neighborhood underneath it. Well, that they that they modified the flight pattern. So before they were more erratic, and you would get one flying over your house, you know, every day or something. But then they modified the flight path to, to be more uniform. And so it's like right. every plane is flying over the house instead of just one every now and then. <laughs> well, when we when we bought this house and we signed the paperwork for it, it said that you know someday DFW may create a runway that goes east west mm-hmm. and ends up flying straight over us. But I don't see that ever happening. Right. One thing they they don't really have the land to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. So it is what it is. Right. So, so your primary market is the uh, the model trains, the scale model trains. Yes, most most of my stuff is model trains. Um, I will say that I do have. We we'll get back to it later, but I do have a home printer, and I'm doing a lot of other weird things on it. But for the quality you get and the the surface finish. You just can't top what Shapeways can do, and so all the model train stuff is at Shapeways. Right. And my shop where I'm selling things is at Shapeways. The primary thing to me is is that I have a day job that is not 3D modeling. Mm-hmm. I make a whole lot of mo- whole lot more money at my day job than I do with this modeling. I'd hope so, because that's 16 over seven years. That wouldn't yeah, get you very far. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it like you said, buys a new locomotive. It doesn't pay doesn't pay for the hamburger. No, and um, so I have a day job, and with that day job, I don't have the time, the luxury. I don't do not have the inclination to deal with a little thing called fulfillment. Mm-hmm. There is no way I'm going to sit here and produce a whole bunch of stuff on this printer, and then have to deal with collecting money shipping, you know, packing all of that noise about fulfillment with what I've got going at Shapeways, all of that's on them. Right. And with Shapeways, it's literally, I get to go at night, design whatever I want to design, put it up on my shop, and it sells. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to touch it after that. And so once a month, I get that markup payment, and I do not have to deal with shipping and returns and all that noise, and I love it. And if you would like to find Stony on uh, Shapeways, you can go to shapeways.com slash shop slash Stony Smith, um, S-T-O-N-Y-S-M-I-T-H. That's right. No E. No E. No, no, e. no I-E. No. <laughs> yeah, none of that. That's a... Interesting uh, first name. How'd that come about? I knew you were going to ask that. My legal name is Stinson, S-T-I-N-S-O-N, Stinson Smith. Mm -hmm. Stinson means son of stone. So Stoney is a nickname off of my legal name. Okay. And has nothing to do with anything I did or did not do in college. (laughs) Right. It's not Stoner Smith, it's Stoney. Nope. Right. Nope. <laughs> and as far as I know, I actually had the nickname. I know I, I know I had the the Stinson and I probably had the nickname before I was born. Mm-hmm. My dad my dad selected this name when he was a boy. Okay. 
So I <laughs> I actually had a name before I had a mother. Right. <laughs> but that's how far ahead my dad planned. Right. <laughs> hey, it, wor- it worked I, out for him. A lot a lot of it there was a nineteen fifties T V cowboy, Stony Burke. Mm-hmm. And it, it's real it, really that's where the nickname came from. Okay. Not not anything I did in college. Right. So do do you remember the first uh, either the first train or first three D model where you saw that and you said you know what I'm gonna start modeling these trains and uh, either make them for myself or even start selling them to others. Yeah. The when I started back in 2007, I went to a train show and I saw this model train layout that was about. Probably 18 by 12. It was real inches. It was mm-hmm. a really small layout in what was essentially a, a aquarium, you know, <laughs> a glass case. Mm-hmm. And the size of the locomotive and everything is it. I use a scale called Z scale, and the size of the locomotives, the average locomotive is only two inches long. And I looked at that little display and I went, Oh wow, that is cool. Mm-hmm. And at that show, there was a whole bunch of dis- a whole bunch of Z scale available, and so it really made me interested in the in the scale. And because of that, and several other things, and the fact that I'm now an empty nester and stuff like that, the um, I decided that I wanted to make a model train layout, and that started the journey. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I did in 2007 and 8 was, is I tried making, I, I immediately found out that C-Scale just does not have many choices for houses. Hmm. And I tried making houses out of, like, paper models. You know, where you cut cardboard, or card stock, and mm-hmm. you fold it up, and you paint it, or whatever. And they just wouldn't stand up. They didn't look all that good to me, and they just wouldn't stand up. And then one day I was reading Hackaday, and I saw this reference to 3D printing. And I have done 3D design at a hobbyist level or even below. I'm just, you know, it's something that I've been interested in for a very, very long time. And I had a 3D design program, so I went out and drew up a house on a uh, this one program, and I uploaded it to Shapeways, and it failed. Mm-hmm. And I got the I got the horrible non-manifold error. Oh. And there back, was back no then. explanation anywhere about how to fix it, what that was, or what was causing it. And I tried several times to repair the thing, and never, never got that model to work. Mm-hmm. And then. Late in 2009, I stumbled into a program called OpenSCAD, which allows you to set up cubes, cylinders, spheres, and stuff like that as a program rather than drawing it with your mouse. Mm -hmm. And when you perfectly align two walls in the other program, they end up being separate objects, so you get the non-manifold error. But if you do it in OpenSCAD, it optimizes that out. It merges the things together properly. And I, early in 2001, it was I think it was January in 2000. Sorry, 2010. 
I uploaded a, a model from OpenSCAD, and it worked. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, this is cool. <laughs> and I ordered the model, got it back, got you know, took a couple pictures of it, and posted it on a forum that I participate in. And one of my friends on that forum said, hey, that's really cool. Can you do one of these? Right. And 760 models later, <laughs> you can see that I've done just a few of can you do one of these. Right. And that's how it all got started was him asking can you do one. Mm-hmm. And back in those days, the shop stuff on Shapeways was just barely there. Somebody else, they really didn't have even shops. Somebody else could order something off your account, but they couldn't, um, it, the markup stuff wasn't fully there. And I, if I remember correctly, my first actual sale was March of 2010. Mm -hmm. And my first markup payment was like July or something of that year. But... Every month since then, I've been making a little bit of markup. Right. Yeah, I remember back then there there wasn't as many material choices, and uh, yeah, with yeah. The, the manifold issue, um, I think they fixed that up a lot with the mesh medic, and but now you get a uh, oops, something and went wrong on our end, and it's that's the end of the explanation. I hate, I hate that message <laughs> because it doesn't tell you anything more about what we're <laughs> Wrong. Right. It could be a server issue. It could be your model has nothing in it. Who knows? <laughs> well, and the, the crazy thing is that I, I work for this company. We do a lot of software stuff, and we have customers that have the same kind of thing show up. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we ask the customers is, is okay, send us the logs. And <laughs> but Shapeways won't let you see the logs. Nope. <laughs> and anyway, the, uh, yeah, I I try, I won't say I try, but I, I manage to upload probably one new model a, a week. Mm -hmm. um, it really depends upon the complexity of the model. You know, I've, I've got a model or two that took a year to design. Mm. Or it took a year to clean up. Right. Okay. It, I, it was an import from something else, and it, it looked okay as a render, mm -hmm. but when you when you try to translate that to the 3D print world, it just, it's terrible. And you get in and there, and there's just faces on top of faces and everything. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so, um, I've gotten pretty good at cleaning models. Right. And, but the, the, the one that I hate the most, the, the, the number one model that I just do not like to do is automobiles. Mm -hmm. Because all they are is curves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just the hood, just the one piece of the hood of an automobile has at least four different curves to it. Mm -hmm. Going, you know, there's a left-right curve, a front-to-back curve, there's a curve across the front. It's just all curves. Mm -hmm. And they're, to me, they're impossible to draw. And if you look at my shop, one of the things you'll see is is that, you know, it's pretty easy for me to kick out some model. It's pretty quick for me to kick out some model. It's all um, flat surfaces. Mm -hmm. You know, and it can be fairly complex, and it's still not all that hard to put out. But if, the, if it's regular, flat, 
you know, cubes, spheres, cylinders, and stuff like that, I can do it pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But if you get into automobiles, ugh, I just, that's not my skill set. And then any kind of organic modeling, trying to do somebody's face, no way. Mm-hmm. And the in many terms, I am not an author, I'm an editor. Mm-hmm. I can modify something, but to craft it from the original source, especially like you're trying to do somebody's face, that's just not in my skill set. Right. Yeah, I, I can do a house pretty quick. Yeah. I, I know from my experience with, uh, with the curves and everything, with the spines and all that fun, uh, when I was working for uh, Injection Molder, we molded cutlery. And uh, so they would be like, "Hey, oh, we we need you, to, we need you to design this cutlery." And I'd be like, "Okay, knife be done in you know an hour. Fork, okay, done in a couple hours. All right, now get to the spoon." <laughs> and they'd be like, "Okay, we want the bowl to be like this, and then this, this long, and and it's like you, you you don't understand how challenging it is to make the bowl of a spoon, and then you want it to be so precise to what you want. It's like." <laughs> it, it was very anytime, frustrating. <laughs> anytime you pl- apply the word artistic, mm-hmm. you just left me off the table. Right. You know, I'm an engineer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, can, I can deal with rectangular and, and even angled surfaces, but not first. Well, I mean, for, if you wanted me to take a uh, like a uh, a sphere. You know, extend the one end of it to make it kind of a spoon bowl shape, and you you can make the spoon bowl shape like that. But they would get really particular with how why they want it in certain areas and stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, all those little yeah. adjustments make so much more work. <laughs> yeah, that's that's no, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. one of my complaints there was always like, you know, we're not building the space shuttle. You know, we're no. we're not NASA. We don't need to be that exact. <laughs> yes, my my favorite mashup between the two is you know you got rocket science mm-hmm. and um, you know like heart surgery. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not doing rocket surgery. No. <laughs> we're building a spoon that someone's going to eat with once and then throw away. <laughs> No, and and the you know to make the 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 handles and stuff they would want to make them artistic and stuff. That's under you know you want it, but and they it's funny they they would want a look, but they were nowhere near as exacting with the design of the handles. <laughs> right, right. So okay. so so you do the the Z scale. Uh, use your uh, what was the the CAD software you use? The Open CAD. Okay. I get. A lot of strange looks when I say this, but I am using a program called True Space. Mm-hmm. It tends to be my main tool. Okay. Okay. Now I get a lot of strange looks because it's such an old program, but it works, mm-hmm. or partially, it mostly works. And the big thing about True Space is, is, and this was, gosh, 30 years ago. Um, 
I have actually used TrueSpace for some 30 years. I, I started with the first version of it, which was called Caligari. Mm-hmm. And I've had the version of it all the way through the final version. And um, the thing about it is, is that if you compare it to some tool like AutoCAD, mm-hmm. I could never wrap my head around AutoCAD. I just could not figure out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. And TrueSpace allows me to put up a flat panel, cut a hole in it, and then say, I want to change the dimensions of that hole based upon typing in the coordinates of where I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And I can actually type in the coordinates, you know, the location, the rotation, and the size. I can type that in using TrueSpace and AutoCAD and some of those other programs, and especially when you start looking at, like, Tinkercad and, and SketchUp, mm-hmm. it just doesn't let you make those decisions. Or, if anything, with SketchUp, you have to make that decision before you draw. Like I said, I just I never could wrap my head around AutoCAD. But with TrueSpace, it worked the way I think, and so it let me draw great and wonderful things. And I've I've done all kinds of crazy modeling. Right. Yeah, I know in, um, in high school and college, I used, they all, at that time, it was AutoCAD. Um, and it was, it seemed so weird to me, like, you'd have to draw a shape, and then you'd have to region it before you could extrude it. I was like, what, what, right. what is regioning? I don't understand what this thing is. And then, exactly. and then I went to work, and uh, both places I worked and designed at, they used KeyCreator. So, you know, had to use a different software than I went to school for. And uh, actually, I, I preferred, preferred designing in KeyCreator. But it, we'd get the, a version that worked, and you'd be able to do everything you need to do in it. And then they'd be like, hey, we, we want to upgrade your software. Why would I need to upgrade my software? <laughs> I, I'm using yeah. this version. It does what I needed to do. I know where all the tools are. You upgrade it, and they change how the tools look, and they move them around. It's like, I can do what I need to do with where where I'm at. I don't need any (laughs) more. Yes. The the other thing that I absolutely love about TrueSpace is is that not only can you draw with pretty high precision, I can do what I call engineering drawings rather than organic drawings. Mm -hmm. I I can do the drawings... The thing I love about TrueSpace is, is that not only does it allow me to do the engineering drawings and, and stuff, it it would, other people can use it to do organic drawings, it's just not my skill set. But the incredible thing about TrueSpace is, is that then you can also turn around and do very, very nice renderings. Mm-hmm. And I just sent you a link to one drawing that I did as a rendering. Okay. With using TrueSpace. Mm-hmm. And um, you'll see from it that that's pretty good rendering. The um, So I use TrueSpace for a lot of my drawings. One of the little problems I've had is, is that it seems like Windows 10, with every single update, seems to take away another feature of TrueSpace. Hmm. And it's getting harder and harder to use it the more tweaks they put into Windows 10. And that's very frustrating to me. Um, the other tool that I use so much is OpenSCAD, 
And the thing about it is, is I'm a hardcore programmer. Mm-hmm. With OpenScan, if I need ribs going down the side of a, of, of a car, or if I need a bunch of rivets going down a strap of metal, I can design, you know, I can toss in a little small sphere and then copy it, replicate it using a four next loop. And being able to actually do 3D drawing in code rather than with a mouse really gives me a, a leg up on certain kinds of drawing, uh, certain kinds of models. Mm-hmm. And then the third third one that I have spent some good amount of time with is, is Blender. Right. I am trying to, if you want to use the word, teach myself Blender. It's slow going. I, I've gotten to where I can do pretty good with editing models in Blender. In other words, simplifying the mesh and things like that and and or sometimes actually increasing, you know, applying the subdivision mm-hmm. modifier because that subdivision modifier works a little better than uh, some others that I've messed with. It, that subdivision modifier works better than the one in True Space. Right. And so I, um, I've been using Blender and I'd like to get to where I can, you know, start a model from scratch in Blender I really haven't been able to get myself there yet. Right. And, Have you uh, looked at Vicky Soma's book? As a matter of fact, I have. Okay. And it did give me some ideas, and it I, I was really happy with what she wrote. I, mm-hmm. I liked what, I liked that read. It was nice and simple and nice straightforward. And there, there are a couple of methods in there that I want to go try. And, yes, I have read her book. Okay. Yeah, I think you two have a little bit of similar background, a little bit similar um, uh, generation. <laughs> to, that, I'll take that. Okay. Um, you, you got you two are a little bit older than a, a lot of the 3D printing crowd, I think. Um, I understand that. And and part part of my story is is that you have to understand that I have been doing 3D modeling. Not 3D printing, but mm-hmm. 3D modeling since 1974. Mm-hmm. In college, my first semester, I was actually doing with what today has been renamed and, and tweaked as voxels. Mm-hmm. I was actually working with voxels in 74. Right. And now. Uh, that that was 11 right. years before I was born. So. <laughs> <laughs> I assume your audience is a little higher tech than most, so they might actually understand this. What I was wanting to do all the way back then in 74 was I wanted to be able to render out pictures of walking down the hallways of the USS Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to do, was 3D modeling of walking through a structure. Right. And so all these different years were different purposes and different things you know that's kind of my kind of my goal so still work still working on that goal 40 years later yeah yeah i'd say so okay and i ha- i haven't achieved it and i don't know that i will and my you know my end goal is actually generate holograms mm-hmm. that you can walk through so we've, we've got a ways to go yet right <laughs> and that's something that people really don't 
comprehend about me. I had a guy ask me one time, how do you stay current with technology? Mm-hmm. And my answer is, I figured out what my answer was. And that is, if you think about the USS Enterprise and the fact of the holodeck, mm-hmm. okay, when you're walking through the holodeck, all of that stuff is generated by the computer in real time. Mm-hmm. Think about how big that computer is and how complex and how much storage that computer needs. Right. I want that as a notebook. Yeah, I always wondered about uh, <laughs> with the holodeck is like they're they're not walking on a moving surface, but the room has a size. Like, so if they have multiple people in that room, are they limited to how far apart they can be? Because the room's only so big. Yes, they're. That was one of the, I read that somewhere, that <laughs> theoretically what they do is, uh, part of the explanation was, is that supposedly they pick the person up and transport them back to the other side of the room so they can keep walking. I don't know that I buy it, you know. Even, get, even then, so if you're, you're if, uh, you know, uh, Picard's on one side and uh, I can't remember the first mate guy, uh, Rikers on the other side, and they're walking away from each other. So even yeah. then, they would be transported to be face to face. That's that's what somebody was saying, and I'm going, no, that doesn't work. No, but just just the concept of being in the room, being able to walk around, is where I'd like to be. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I want all that power of that computer as my notebook. Right. My personal notebook. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm a few years ahead of the curve there. <laughs> right, just a few. So any new fancy technology that you can come up with and imagine, it's already behind that. I mean, it's still behind that. Mm-hmm. So new technology, I understand what it, how it, how it got built. You know, and I, I can accept the fact that it did get built, mm-hmm. and I can just go with it. But it none of it really surprises me because, okay, we're still working on that goal. Right. You know, <laughs> it's embarrassing to me. You know, the Amazon Alexa, mm-hmm. it's so far down in, in um, artificial intelligence that it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's insulting. You know, people people think it's great. I'm going. Uh, I was working with a more complex program in in 1980. Right. So they, they got a ways to go. Well, it's great for Amazon to be able to get information on us and to market to us, and it's great for their well, purposes. The, the whole the whole point of the device is to sell you things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not not really designed as a personal assistant. It's designed to sell you things. Right. So, yeah, that I've been in. I've been doing 3D representation for a very, very long time, and I just can't express how exhilarating it is, how satisfying it is to actually be able to take some of those drawings and stick it up on a printer and have it pop out of the printer where you can touch it. Right. You know that that is a huge step toward the holodeck. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I kind of hate to 
to say it, but you know, there are times and I'll just sit here for <laughs> too much time just watching the magic of the 3D printer moving the head back and forth. Mm -hmm. You know, it is mesmerizing. And, so, and, and it's putting out what you created, what you designed. It's just Yes. What was on the screen is now something I can touch. Right. And that is just incredible. The other, the other thing that I, I absolutely love about having a home printer is, is that I can sit, sit down and design something with the grandkids, and pop it out on the printer, and they go, "Oh, cool! Mm -hmm. Can you, can you, can you, can you make it in red?" Right. <laughs> going, yes, I can make it in red. I, I think it's like with my kids and everything. They. Uh, when I make something and print it out, and they're just like, okay. I'm like, when when I was your age. <laughs> yeah, when I was your age, we didn't have that. We taped two sticks together to make this. <laughs> we, we didn't have exactly. a 3D printer. <laughs> a week ago, my wife dropped a, or actually it was my granddaughter, dropped a uh, crystal glass coaster. Mm -hmm. and, and it shattered it into 100 pieces. And I went to my software, pulled up a cylinder, cut a logo in the top of it, and printed out four of them. Mm -hmm. You know, you just can't do that with other manufacturing methods. No. Not, not have it back in your hand in a couple of hours. No. Well, I mean, with, with my laser, I make some coasters, but uh, but same, you know, you still did. Same idea. Yeah, same idea. It, it you know, it was around. 20, 30 years ago, but it wasn't as accessible as it is today. Oh, yeah. So, so with your, with your trains, um, you know, you model them to scale and everything. So it's, I'm trying to envision how, like, what, what's your personal touch in the craft that, uh, you know, someone sees a model that you made and say, Hey, that's a Stony Smith. Well, the one, one thing, and it probably, uh, or I should say, I know that it drives shapeways nuts is that one of the things that I do quite a bit of is um, one, of the, one of the things that I do quite a bit of that, to kind of put my stamp on stuff is, is anytime I can, anytime it's reasonable, I make the stuff move. Mm. Okay? I've got several models in my shop that are printed in what used to be called FUD, if you cross it over detail. Mm -hmm. I've got several models in my shop that they actually move. You know, it's got a boom arm that raises up and down. The cab rotates left and right. Mm -hmm. I've got a Ferris wheel in my shop mm -hmm. that is fully articulated. Every chair of the Ferris wheel rotates. Right. The whole main wheel rotates. I've got a um, um, carousel with six horses on it. Mm -hmm. And if, now this is one of, this is a bit of a disappointment to me, but if you, if the horses were a little bit bigger, had a little more, little bit more weight to them, mm -hmm. the actual mechanism is inside of there to actually make them go up and down as you rotate the carousel. Mm -hmm. And, that's the kind of thing that I consider to be kind of my signature. Now, yeah, there's a lot of things in my shop that don't have moving parts. Right. <clears throat> but 
I absolutely love the fact that I can design something with moving parts and print it out as one piece, no assembly required, you know, and it's one piece right out, right out of the printer, ready to go. Right. Yeah. I, I have a lot of fun making moving parts. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely a touch that you add to it. And uh, I think just you already being into trains, I think, adds a lot that uh, you know, you put that that knowledge and that uh, you know what you would want in a model that someone requests. Uh, quite a bit. There's, I will say that there's a lot of models in my shop um, that I would never want one of those. Mm -hmm. Like on my personal layout, there is no streets. Mm -hmm. The the way that passengers get from one place to another is via train. So on my personal layout, there's no need for a single automobile at all. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people have requested automobiles, and so I'll I'll do them begrudgingly. <laughs> I'll 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 do them and put them up there. But I don't bother ordering them myself because I don't need that. I don't want that. Right. The other thing that I have a lot of, and this this is one of my little problems with Shapeways. <laughs> is they're always saying that for better sales, you need to paint and upload the model. I mean, paint and upload a picture of the painted model. Mm -hmm. Well, if I paint the thing, first of all, I can't paint. Right. So it's not going to work. It's not going to look good. And if I paint it and then take a photo of it and upload that, people are going to be chased off because it's a bad paint job. Mm -hmm. Okay? So... I don't quite know how to get around that thing from Shapeways where they really want the photo of the item because FUD itself is almost impossible to photograph. Mm -hmm. You've got to have very, very special lighting conditions to be able to photograph it and see the detail because it is almost transparent. Mm -hmm. And Or you're trying, you're trying to photograph it against a... Um, you know, a white background, and that just doesn't work. So I've got that, and then a significant number of models, or more than a third of the models in my shop, are in a scale, a train scale that's up bigger than mine. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't need any of that stuff. So why should I order that just to get past the um, first, uh, you know, What's it called? Uh, first to print or... The first to try. First to try. Yeah. Okay. That whole first to try thing, I get it. Customers want to know that the model is successful. Mm -hmm. But for me, it doesn't work well because I'm not going to order the thing myself. Mm -hmm. If I personally ordered one of everything in my shop, I would be in the whole $16,000. Right. Not, not to the positive. Right. You know, in fact, most of my models cost, um, you know, five, ten times what my markup is. Mm -hmm. So I would be seriously in the hole if I ordered one of every model. And then I just have all these models sitting around because I don't need that N scale or HO scale model. Right. And I do sometimes wonder, I mean, I fully respect the people who are doing things like jewelry and stuff like that, 
they need to order a model to make to prove that it it works. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you that I've got a few customers, not many, but I've got a few customers <laughs> that actually compete to be the first to try. Hmm. I don't I don't even have to buy it myself. They they want the thing so bad that they'll they're happy to be the first one to buy it. Right. You know, and there's been some models that I put up and within three minutes I had five orders. Hmm. You know, because people want that item. Right. And <laughs> and I have yet to order one myself. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I know even like with the jewelry, like yeah, you do ring sizes. So you get the one ring oh, size yeah. ordered and sold. Well, then the other sizes are still first to try. Right. Right. But and, I, had, you know, I had tons of suggestions and stuff for that, but they don't pay me for that anymore. So they don't get it. I, they, never, they never, they never paid me for that. Right. So. <laughs> they don't listen to me either. <laughs> they didn't listen very much when I was there either, so. <laughs> Understood. Understood. So, uh, with with your learning design and everything, what what advice would you give to Stony uh, ten years or you know seven years ago when you started selling your trains? Well, um, a couple of things is is one you have to. You have, the first thing you have to do is you have to understand the fact that a 3D print must have volume. Mm-hmm. Sorry, a 3D model must have volume. Mm-hmm. It's not paper. You know, and you can think of paper as a one-sided surface, mm-hmm. but you really need to think of it as is like thicker cardboard. Because your model, your model must have structure for it to stand up, and that means that the walls have to have a certain amount of thickness, or it's not going to work well. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, you know, initially I didn't understand that. And um, the other, the other thing is the whole manifold issue. It's two triangles cannot occupy occupy the same space. Right. And I wish they would describe it as that rather than saying manifold. Mm-hmm. That is one piece of advice that I would give. Um, the other, and it's not really to me, it's it's a piece of advice. I mean, it's not me advising myself, but I would advise any other designer. By, and you can read this up on the on several different forum, shape-based forum posts that I've made. My advice to a beginner designer is go find a piece of software, period. Mm-hmm. Try it out and expect to change to another piece of software later because you'll find that the other piece of software works better for you. Right. Don't be afraid to learn two or three or five pieces of software because Different pieces of software have different features, but they also work differently based upon, and you need to match it to the model of how your mind and how your drawing skills work. The way I say this up on the forum is, is I have time and time and time again, I take two programs and two users. I take program A and give it to George, I take program B and give it to Sally. And they use it for two to three months, maybe six months, 
and then I go in and I give program B to George and program A to Sally. All I'm doing is switching them. And both of them thank me for giving them something that works so much better. Right. Because they've now gotten used to it. They know a little bit more about how they work. And they can figure out that, oh, I'd like to have this feature in the software. And they don't think about that going in. They don't know what they need going in. Mm-hmm. And the simple fact that I just switched the two pieces of software, they both come back and thank me for giving them such a better program. Right. And I have done that with everything from Excel to, you know, every program out there, every possible programming system you can think of. I've done that with every one of them. Right. Yeah, I, I think so. I think uh, definitely when you're starting, you want. Uh, I, I remember. I haven't been on the forums in a while now, but people would come in and say, hey, what software do you recommend? You need to know yes. your intentions. <laughs> you, yes. you you can't say, hey, what software should I use? That's like, oh, well, go use Microsoft Word. Well, you can't make a PowerPoint presentation in Word. No, you can't. You didn't say you wanted to make a PowerPoint presentation. So, exactly. <clears throat> what, what do you want to do with it? Right. You know, a car that is has electricity, you know, an electric car that only goes 15 miles is not going to be useful for cross-country trips. Mm-mm. And you have to understand, and you have to come to the realization of what do you want to do with it. And when you're starting out, you may not know. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to go try things, and don't be afraid to go back and try something that you initially tried and didn't think it was what you needed, don't be afraid to go back and say, can, can I make this work for me? And definitely with the Internet and YouTube and everything, Google yes. it. You know, check it out. See if you can't figure out how to do it, see if there's someone that can tell you how to do it. It's probably out there. Or if it's not yes. possible, then it's not out there. Yes, and it's just, you know, you've got to try stuff out. Mm-hmm. And you have to... Be, you have to not be afraid to fail. Right. You have to have a desire to get to a specific spot. You have to have something you want. I want to hold a little house in my hand. And I kept doing it. You know, paper craft wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Balsa wasn't good. You know, these, no offense to you, Michael, <laughs> uh, there's these people who make laser-cut house models. They're, they're just not as talented as I am. <laughs> they're intricately designed, mm-hmm. and they're kits that you have to assemble together. You know how much of a pain it is to glue all that stuff when there's 400 pieces in a house that's only two inches square? Oh, man. You know? Mm-hmm. With Shapeways, all of those window seals, all those window seals and all the millions of the windows and all the doorways and all that stuff, it's already in the model. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's what's so beautiful about 3D printing is you can get all that detail without having to do all that gluing. Right. And even all the old uh, plastic kits where you'd have to, it's still the th- same thing. You snap them out of the uh, yes. the sprues and you sprues. glue it all together. And uh, you, you don't have that restriction in the 3D printing of the 
undercuts and trapping oh, yeah. metal and everything. I think I assembled my first plastic 3D kit when I was seven or eight. Mm-hmm. But plastic model kit when I was seven or eight. I remember my my mom went to a, a conference in Anchorage. When she came back from Anchorage, she came. She brought me a plastic model kit with the glue, and I got it together. But there was also a lot of glue on the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. that plastic cement stuff is uh, messy. <laughs> Especially in the hands of a six-year-old, and oh yeah. <laughs> well, the, the other—I mean, back in those days, it was nice and toxic too. Oh yeah. <laughs> By the time you're done, that glue's everywhere because you're just the good glue, <laughs> right? Not seeing straight anymore. <laughs> but remember, my name has nothing to do with anything I did in college, <laughs> right? Or or it's six gluing models together. <laughs> right. right. The main thing is is. I see a lot of stuff on the Shapeways forums about picking your audience and how to market yourself. Mm-hmm. And you have you have to make the decision, are you trying to do this as a business, or are you trying to do this as a hobby, or what are you trying to do? Mm-hmm. You know, are you just, just doing this stuff for yourself, are you trying to do it for others, or what? And you've got to go into it with the realistic expectations that – if you're selling to others, you're going to have a good bit of failure. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about Shapeways is is that you don't end up with boxes of parts based upon thinking that some, some idea is a really good idea and nobody buys one. Right. And that's what I love about Shapeways is, is that I'm not responsible for inventory. Right. And... As you're modeling, you have to you have to take some risks, try some things, and don't give up when the first model doesn't turn out the way you want. Go back and refine it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that even means starting from scratch. Just last night, I got I had spent 20 hours working on a model. And it just wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. And so I went back and recut it and started from scratch. Mm-hmm. Scrapped it, started from scratch. And I got the thing put together back in four hours. Right. Have to not be afraid to fail. Because, like Edison said, you know, success is 99% failure with 1% success, 1% succeeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's many a times where I've designed something and, and got to a brick wall, and it's like, I, I can't make this thing work anymore. But then you get that, you, you learned what didn't work in the process. <laughs> so once you go back and restart, you, you say, okay, this this stuff didn't work making it. I got to do it this way. And then when you have to do something similar again in the future, you know what worked. Yes. Yes. And... You were asking the question about, you know, what what advice would I give myself? The other little thing is, is you know, you got to understand the tolerances and the um, the issues like what is a thin wire, what is a thin wall, mm-hmm. because I don't feel like Shapeways applies those. Um, I mean, I don't think Shapeways explains those well. 
and I would prefer a much more engineering description of it, but then I don't know if, if everybody would understand the engineering dis- description. Right. And you have, when you have a flat surface and you want a wall coming up out of it, if that wall is just freestanding and only connected on that that floor, they're going to flag it because it's not properly supported. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand, you have to develop an understanding about those, um, what the different, or how physics, how pushing on something is going to cause it to break. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to think about for the physical print process is you can't just leave a wire out. And my favorite explanation of it is is the dumbbell thing. Mm-hmm. A thin, straight cylinder with two big, heavy <clears throat> chunks of something on the ends of it is going to break. You know, that, that cylinder in between, that connector in between is going to break. Right. And you have to design... Not only just for looks, but you have to design for being able to survive the printing and cleaning process. Mm-hmm. And ship and <laughs> and the UPS guy. Right. <laughs> so it that's that's the kind of thing that you need to take your time and dig in and understand that. I would say I do wish that Shapeways had some method for explaining it better. Mm-hmm. And if I could ever con- contribute to trying to explain it better, I'd like to, you know. I think what may need to happen is we may need to set some of us designers down and write up or design a presentation that would explain these topics. I think and I don't. I think you would never get anything that was understandable <laughs> to everyone. It it, it would. Either it'd be too complex, Perhaps and there's not. too many different situations. It's seeing it's such an open platform for design. Uh, you know, something a wall that's longer, uh, bigger at the base has you know different structural strength than a thinner wall. Uh, you know, th- there's just so much that can go into it. You pretty much just have to know how physical the physical world works. <laughs> That's correct. You must understand how stuff works. Mm -hmm. And that's something about 3D printing that the average person doesn't, you know, like your home printer, dealing with overhangs. Mm -hmm. Well, every single thing that I want to print has overhangs, Mm -hmm. you know, but I don't want support material. Right. You know, because that that messes up the surface or whatever, you know, adds infinite amount of time to the to the length of the print. Mm-hmm. But everything I want to print has overhangs, period. Right. And it's, that's something that you must be willing to learn. Mm-hmm. You can't just say, well, the 3D checker person, human, rejected it and it should work. Right. Well, no, you gotta, you gotta understand how the printer works before you can say that. Right. And you, and you can't say, um, you know, hey, the rules say the walls can be this thick. Okay, if you're building a brick wall and you're building it three bricks high, you can have it be one brick wide. But if you're building it right. ten feet high, you can't have a ten-foot-high <laughs> brick wall that's only one brick thick. 
Yeah, it's freestanding. Right. With, it, no, support, with no supports on either side. Right. It would it would yeah. never be stable. So it, that it, is that is the that is the big problem that I see with so many. Um, I don't, I don't want to say problem with people, but it, it is the thing that so many people run into is is that when they're getting started, they don't understand enough about the physics of the actual printed item. And I mean that for to me, that's just understanding of the physical world in itself. It doesn't even have to be a three D printed thing. You you just have to right. understand. It, no, not even understand right. physics, <laughs> like, but it, it, it should be. It shouldn't be as frustrating as it is to some people. But then again, the the way the rules are stated in there is, it says, 0.7 millimeters. So it should be 0.7 yes. millimeters. So yeah, let me let me do my 0.7. Right. And yeah, <laughs> let me do my 0.31. Thank you very much. Right. <laughs> I, I guess that would be the other thing I would say is is that normally when I'm designing. I design a little bit over the the size rather than a little bit under. Right. I, use, I always use .31 instead of .30. Mm-hmm. And so when I started, yeah. it was uh, just nylon was the only material with a one millimeter, and one millimeter is like .37 inches or something. So I used .4. Yeah. You know, right. Right. I I I I'm used to designing in inches, and I was like, I'm going to round it up so that I know I'm always. I've always got that cushion. Well, the other the other huge thing is, at least in the model train world, we have this little rule called the three-foot rule. Mm-hmm. If, you hold, if you hold it out three feet from your face, if you can't see that that uh, detail mm-hmm. on the surface, it's good enough. Right. You know? Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> nobody at a train show is going to get out a magnifying glass and right. look at <laughs> your item when it's moving on the track. Right. Okay, the number one piece of advice that I would give anybody for anything computer-related, whether it's Shapeways or something else, have you backed up your computer today? (laughs) Your computer is a piece of hardware, and it will fail, Mm -hmm. period. If you haven't made a backup, it's not somebody else's fault. Right. You cannot use Shapeways as a backup for all of your files. Mm-hmm. You need to keep your own backup. Especially saying no one designs in STL. You know, no one designs in OBJ. Those are all your, uh-huh. your save, your exports, but that is not the file you worked from. Right. But, but you're going to want all those STLs that are up, up there on Shapeways, you're going to want those should we have Certain things happen. Mm-hmm. Make a backup. Right. All right. So uh, that that about wraps us up for this episode of Making It. Thank you for joining me today, Stony. No problem. I hope you learned as much as I did today about Stony and his craft. And as always, if you feel you would like to share with us as well, feel free to reach out to me. You can email me at mikewilliams at melange.co, M-E-L-A-N-G-E.co. And I hope that you tune in to my next episode.